that that's such a uh, an interesting question i think when it comes to every movie that deals with nuclear destruction in some ways that is there is there there is that incomprehensible nature to them that it feels like we've like meddled with some aspect of reality that's too too big for us in in some way yeah yeah um which i guess brings me back to that point that maybe it's good that we have someone uh one of our own like not a computer not a protocol to uh some you know some some agent that has that kind of humility in the back of his mind or that humbleness and in the face of this like grandiose thing that in many ways like overpowers us welcome to cinema of meaning the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer my name is tom you may know me as the creator of like stories of old and I'm joined by my fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to welcome you to a special series titled Cinema of Nuclear Dread. Um, Thomas, we came up with this in honor of the upcoming release of Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, which uh, is going to deal with the development and the implications of the atomic bomb in a very direct and explicit way. Um, so in the anticipation of that, uh, what did you want to touch on or how did this series, uh, how did we come up to come up with this? I think it's, it's interesting that Oppenheimer is coming out this year because I've been thinking again just recently about uh, kind of the Cold War nuclear annihilation and movies that deal with that because mm -hmm. we're in a time where a lot of people are talking about other kind of new existential threats whether it's climate change or you know the hot big topic right now is ai um and so yeah. it, you know in light of those things i think it's kind of interesting to look back on past discussions that have dealt with um you know a an existential threat that is kind of of our own making you know this this mm -hmm. tension between a technology that humans want to create and sort of the destruction that could potentially come about via that technology. Yeah. Um, so, you know, before we even talked about doing this series leading up to Oppenheimer, I had been thinking about rewatching Dr. Strangelove. I hadn't seen it in a while um, just to kind of view it through that context of like, what was it yeah. like at that time to satirize this, sort of the one of the fears of the culture at that time and how might that relate to how we would approach sort of mm -hmm. thinking about or satirizing you know the kind of uh the kind of threats and and dread that that we currently have um yeah. which the the irony being it's not like this specific dread ever necessarily completely went away i mean it's definitely toned way down it's not at the height yeah. that it ever was but i was gonna say it's actually been revitalized a little bit here in yes. europe with the new conflict between uh ukraine and russia which i think for a lot of europeans who have been living in this state of you know europe is at peace now and has been since world war ii like this is now the default stage you know there's no this is kind of like we've reached an end of history moment here and now it seems like uh, even though the conflict between Russia and Ukraine is so far at least still contained within those uh, parties, it still feels like that sense, like that security has been breached a little bit now that there's actual fighting going on uh, on the mainland of Europe. And um, now that it's, it's also sinking in that this isn't some like small or like short-lived conflict that is going to drag out possibly over years, maybe longer. And um, especially just recently, there was um, new news about like this big dam that was breached, like causing like this almost Chernobyl type uh, environmental hazard. Um, so it seems like it, it's not unthinkable that this is going to heat up to more desperate measures from yeah anyone who's involved at this point. You know, there's a lot of big uh political powers the united states china um that are also in some way involved or 
can in some way become even more involved involved and then it, it's only you know uh, a matter of time before like i think a lot or at least some of those old cold war questions that we thought were like gone and buried are um becoming as relevant as ever again and uh in that sense for me at least i was also interested in revisiting that cinema to kind of see that dread and the experience of that kind of fear um how that was being dealt with at the time how it took on like this cultural form and in cinema how it was given like these metaphors or satirized or had these more direct depictions of what could happen um so yeah for for me in that sense it's also been yeah. uh, an interesting way to uh revisit all those older like at least what to me were like movies that only dealt with a specific sentiment from a past time and that's so much one that was relevant to me in the here and now and you know uh, like you said i always uh, used to kind of translate those movies and those themes into more relevant quote-unquote uh, right. existential threats as you mentioned climate change and uh, we'll get into that i think a little bit more in the next episode where we uh, talk about the giant monsters that have come uh, out of the dread for the atomic bomb into cinema, um, which has a long history, um, talking about Godzilla, of course, uh, which has a long history dating back to Japan, which obviously had a very uh, tragic experience with the nuclear bomb uh, and how that evolved into, you know, as Godzilla became also a mainstream or not so much a mainstream a mainstream uh phenomenon in the united states and in the west um it took on different like symbolical meanings as well but uh, but still with some of those same existential undercurrents which i think will be interesting to explore um so yeah that's why we figured we're gonna do like a not a single episode on one movie but a series um of episodes that really allows us to do like a deep dive into the cinema of nuclear dread as we called it um ending obviously with a great uh, or like a grand episode on christopher nolan's oppenheimer um anything else you want to add thomas before we dive into the, today's discussion no i think i think uh you you set it up all very well uh we're talking about dr strange love now i think next next week we're talking about godzilla broadly but mostly focusing on the 2014 uh yep. a gareth edwards film kind of as our as our starting point and then yeah working from there we might talk about some other movie and then as you said ending with oppenheimer we might be talking about um other movies that touch on this theme throughout uh, but those are kind of, you know, the core, the core films that, that, uh, we're touching on. So it's not meant to be comprehensive or, you know, like, I, I think I'm not, I'm not an expert on the cold war or anything like that, mm -hmm. but I think it'll be interesting yeah. to sort of uh, like create a little more context, maybe like leading into our viewing of Oppenheimer. Um, and it'll be like, we haven't seen Oppenheimer when we're recording this. So I think it'll be interesting to see how that movie sort of interacts with kind of the different the different themes that we end up discussing over over the next two episodes so yeah i'm excited to see where this goes and and how it feels to kind of extend a discussion over a couple episodes yeah yeah exactly so yeah as you you mentioned it already today we're talking about uh stanley kubrick's early masterpiece uh dr strangelove or how I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Before we begin, if you enjoy our show and want to help us keep it going, you can support us in two ways. The first is to listen to Cinema of Meaning on Nebula, which lets you enjoy each episode completely ad-free, and where you can listen to the next episode in this series a week early. The second way to support us is to join our Discord community on Patreon, where you can discuss movies with us and with our fellow listeners. Both Nebula and Patreon will also give you instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes, which by now has grown into a significant catalog. For more information, check out the description. You'll find everything you need in there. Thank you for listening to Cinema of Meaning. Now back to the show. 
Okay, so Doctor Strangelove is one of Kubrick's earlier movies, and um, nevertheless, I think it's still one that's being very highly regarded of his. Um, it's also been, it's always been like a, uh, one of my favorites uh, of the movies that he made. Uh, one of my favorite war movies, I think, in general. I think this is a very effective uh, anti-war statement that is being made here. Uh, I, I love the satirical approach to what was originally a more straight-on thriller. What, what, what's your uh, relation to this movie? Did you When did you first see it? I first saw this as a teenager a long time ago, and this is only my second time watching it, so it's it's been oh, a right. while. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Uh, this, this may have been like one of the first sort of war comedies mm-hmm. uh, that I encountered or, 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 you know, satirical films about war. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, yeah. So it was, it was, it's, it's, it's a great movie. It's hilarious. It's very over the top and goofy and ridiculous. Um, but, but there's so much. There's so much there that I think probably I didn't catch the first time that, you know, it still feels so relevant and timely, um, not just in how it relates to sort of nuclear war, but just in how it relates to, you know, sort of government bureaucracy and yeah, just the, the, the hmm. machine of war as, you know, as it, as it is, yeah. um, and I think the choice to kind of juxtapose this dramatically juxtapose sort of the guys, you have these guys in the plane that you would usually root for, and they're doing the thing that you're usually in the position of rooting for in a in a war film of like, oh, they're, you know, they are the ones who are like, at all cost, they're going to get it done. You know, like they go the extra mile, they overcome all these hardships to mm-hmm. accomplish their goal or their task but there's this like beautiful dramatic irony of that being just sort of like bringing about the the end of the world um so yeah just the structure of the story itself is yeah. is is a very sort of like darkly funny one um but everything else like the writing the performances as well it, are, it is very fun so yeah yeah yeah, that, that's just a natural absurdity to how some of those government structures and military protocols are enacted, basically, because a lot of them are, they do exist in some form or another. Right. The movie even has that little disclaimer at the beginning <laughs> at the where beginning, it says yes. that, you know, the Pentagon assured us that this cannot happen. <laughs> right, but right. If you go to the IMDb trivia, you can even, uh, you can, you can even see that there's, supposedly there was some alterations that were made in government protocols based on this movie so maybe right it did it did expose some weaknesses in um their contingency plans but yeah i was just gonna say it's just text at the beginning so there's no way of knowing but you can almost sense kubrick's tone with that statement there's Hmm. just like a little bit of irony and like oh they assure us this could never happen and it's like you know, mm-hmm. maybe it would never happen in exactly the way that, you know, it's depicted in this film. Yeah. But, but to, I, I wish I could remember that there's a line in here somewhere about um, being assured that something is impossible. And, uh, you know, it, like the, the thing that's happening in this movie, they thought was, was going to be impossible. Mm-hmm. But, um, the nature of accidents, mistakes like this, or or flaws in a system that you think is is you know a fail safe, yeah. um, is it, that it, it happened in real life too. At one point, there's I, I read up on the Cold War a little bit, but there were two distinct moments where there was a very real chance of a nuclear war. There's two individuals, both Russians, who were uh, because of their in action, really, they were they ended up being both being labeled like the man who saved the world. Uh, the first one was during the Cuban crisis, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s, 
mm-hmm. which is closer to this movie's uh, release. Um, there was a scenario in which there were like these U-boats um, carrying nuclear subs from Russia, which were being like, uh, they had these bombs that go off underwater, underwater for uh, to force these U-boats to come up. And there was one of those boats that... Um, noticed those bombs going off and they assumed that the war had started and so they started the protocol of launching uh, a nuclear strike which was eventually prevented by one of the uh, officers on board Uh, but the later one which is I think more relevant to what also happens in Dr. Strangelove is something that happened in the 80s where there was also this you know this is kind of one in 10,000 or even a smaller chance like mechanical fluke that led to one um, bomber or you know some I forget if it was like a plane or like a boat something you know some vehicle that carried um, a nuclear missile or weapon uh, which oh no I think it was I remember now it was like this station that was supposed to monitor the signals for incoming enemies and right. one of them got like a glimpse of a what was supposedly like maybe an incoming enemy nuclear aircraft and so he was supposed to report that to Moscow or whatever to uh, which would then set in motion all the protocols to retaliate but he thought it was a fluke he was assured it was a fluke and so he didn't go on to report it and set, uh, thereby preventing that the whole protocol was set in motion. Right. And he also turned out to be right. And it, it was just like a, uh, you know, a freak accident almost that led to, almost led to the world's right. ruin. I'm not sure if I'm recounting the story correctly. So I'm sure the Cold um, War experts might come out yeah. and work and, and correct <laughs> us. But <laughs> someone definitely has to fact check this. Yeah. But uh, I think I got the gist of the story right, right at least in the sense in, in the most basic banal sense that yeah there has been a an almost nuclear disaster be based on this very small chance mistake that was fortunately recognized by uh, a human being who could yeah. then take in his own way the measures to prevent further escalation um i think that i think in that whole discussion it, there's such a fascinating question about the nature of deterrence and the question of do we let questions this big be decided by humanity or do we have to set into motion these almost like external uh, self-imposed constructions that make decisions for us that actually you know systems that we create to take to deliberately take away our own agency in the event of a um, high-stakes nuclear conflict. Right. Um, but I think before we get into that, I also want to mention uh, a different one different movie, which is Sidney Lumet's um, Feel Safe, it is called, which came out in the same year that... Um, Dr. Strangelove was released. I'm not sure if you have you seen it. I haven't seen this one. So fill me in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, which is also a very great movie, but it's basically the same story, you know, very roughly the same story as Dr. Strangelove. And they came out in the same year, and I think there was even some dispute about plagiarism, but they both adapted different books from what I remember. Even okay. where where but those books also had like the same issue where right. they kind of <laughs> accused each other or something like that. But either way, it's very interesting that you basically have in the same year that Dr. Strangelove came out as this other movie that came a little bit later and therefore was also less remembered, I think, or that was a little bit overshadowed by um, Kubrick, who came first. But the interesting thing about that movie is that you have roughly the same premise but it's it, it's more like a straightforward thriller so it's not a satire it's just a uh almost like a not a courtroom drama but like a um you know it, it all takes place like dr strangelove in like the president's chambers and in like the pentagon and um 
but there the the also the other interesting thing about that movie is that whereas in uh Doctor Strange love the whole struggle or like the whole plot is set into motion by this crazed general who yeah devises this evil scheme which allows him to exploit the weaknesses in the government's protocols but feel safe is uh, I was thinking feel state but it's feel safe the mistake that there's a mistake that ha- happens uh which is distinctively a like a mechanical error like or like a computing error it's not right. a human it's not human malevolence that sets this scheme into motion um which is the same as um Dr. Strangelove in the sense that there's a bomber or like a whole squad of bombers that gets accidentally set sent to Moscow to drop like these nuclear bombs because they think they've they they've reached they've received like the right code for it but that turned out to be an error but from that point like they kind of run against the issue that all the protocols that are set in motion uh, or that exist after that moment uh you know the fill safe moment uh prevents them from stopping them and that leads to this yeah. whole very intense and suspenseful exploration of how we can even even if we accidentally set into motion we there's no guarantee that we can undo it or that we can uh prevent it from further escalating and then having to deal with like the fallout to those ex- escalations because it's not the thing about the nuclear war it's not just the thing or about the nuclear bomb it's that it's not just the issue of that there's one bomb that could destroy us it's you know there's one that goes off and then there's humans that react to it and they feel the need to retaliate or to do whatever and that that that's ultimately going to snowball into some total state of self-annihilation or something yeah um let's go back to dr strange love before i uh <laughs> just keep talking about different movies but um do you feel like did you feel like fail safe without the satire kind of makes uh not to jump too far ahead but like is making a a similar critique just in a different way or is there is there something fundamentally that the this more satirical approach that dr strangelove takes brings to this movie Mm. yeah it's, it's an interesting comparison in that sense because it is I generally think satire is just a very um, effective tool to approach subjects like these. And I think uh, all in all, Dr. Strangelove is probably the more entertaining movie. Um, right. I, I think you can, it's fair to say. It was more successful too. I think it's yeah. the one that, that has the more of the, um, you know, the lasting legacy as a film, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, kind of related to that I don't know you know it's hard to watch a movie like this now without and and know kind of what the cultural context of it was just from the film itself uh, but I was reading some of Roger Ebert's reviews of of Dr. Strangelove and he talks about kind of the how when this movie came out no like maybe not nobody but according to him like a a satire of this kind of thing was sort of unheard of. There wasn't currently Hmm. a satire of this conflict. So it was a thing that everybody in the culture was discussing very seriously and sincerely. And we're like, Oh yes, nuclear deterrence, you know, is this a good approach to something? You know, it was, it was a debate at the time. Like, should we do this? Shouldn't we blah, blah, blah. And then out comes this movie and it's kind of depicting this debate, these conversations, these mechanisms in the most ridiculous light possible and kind of paints the whole thing in a very like, almost as if it's all one big joke. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think th- there's an there's something interesting about that where, you know, now we see this and it's like, we're like, oh yeah, this kind of makes sense, but we have the hindsight of sort of like that conflict already having passed and maybe understanding it in a new light. But at that time, there would have been something more maybe radical about the satirical aspect of it, um, yeah. you know. And I th- it would be like, 
well, I don't want to try to draw too many comparisons, but, um, you know, I think there are things like that now where culturally we're in the midst, we're in the midst of discussing them in a certain way where it's like, um, you know, oh, what are the pros and cons of this? How is this toxic for our society? How would we deal with Mm -hmm. this? And then you can have something like even a show like Succession is kind of a show that's like, I'm going to satirize this partially by being like, all the people who are making these decisions about all these things that impact everything, you know, it's just kind of like another day at work for them. You know, mm-hmm. like that's how a lot of the officials are portrayed here. Like they, they're going to be fine. You know, the president, yeah. when he calls Russia, is just kind of like, Oh, we did a, we did an did oopsie. A little oopsie, a little oop, <laughs> a little, uh, <laughs> <oop. laughs> um, I don't know if the OPE in the, in the code being the, um the code mm-hmm. because that's like something that people um in america or like the midwest especially would say like oop like like sorry uh, yeah. like oh oops if you like bumped into somebody on the street you might be like oop mm-hmm. uh i don't know if that's an intentional reference to that but i find it really funny because it just <laughs> makes it feel like, a, like <laughs> we just well, did a little whoopsie and now we're accidentally yeah. dropping a, a nuke on uh yeah, it's standing for um, purity, bodily. No. Yeah, there's no yeah. B in there. Anyway, so I I just think it's interesting to like understand this film as a satire within the context of this being a subject that wasn't maybe being like really openly satirized at the time. Um, yeah, I think it's easier to look back on it now. Now that for us, you know, I think our generation has some distance between. Right, what it felt like to be alive at that point, which makes it a little bit easier to also laugh back at it in a way. Um, I think one other factor, the only other thing I can think of what makes it slightly easier for um, a slightly easier target for satire is that it ultimately the kind of scenario that is depicted in the movie did not ultimately happen. Like this isn't uh you know the cold war wasn't a victimless war but at the same time you know the kind of nuclear annihilation that's depicted here that's something that did not happen so right right maybe i think it it kind of maybe skews away a little bit from being taken or, or from being like too close to reality by totally committing to like the hypothetical scenario uh and using that to highlight the absurdity of the uh, decision-making that could, in theory, lead to that scenario. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is it doesn't um, it doesn't make fun, like it doesn't kick down, like it doesn't make fun of, um, you know, it's not like a satire of the Holocaust where you, you do some like farcical story inside a concentration camp but which would obviously be cause like a lot of friction with those who have or who have experienced or known people who've experienced what it was like to actually be in those Uh, but instead like it's a movie that uh, punches upwards to like the 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 upper decision making people terrible way to describe it but <laughs> the, the administration you know, yeah administrations yeah. people in power um yeah and which i think is always like a fair i mean yeah. you know in, in some ways that's a, always a fair fair target because <laughs> those are the yeah. people that carry the responsibility so they it, it's like that that kind of dynamic where every king used to have like a jester to kind of right bring him in bring his ego into check or something like that yeah um so yeah i think that's even if it's not always nice, you know, I think it's important for people who carry that kind of power to be very aware of the power they wield and uh, what it could lead to. And I think it's important for us as like regular citizens to also know the kind of power that those um, have like above us can wield over us. And um, which I think informs us as a society, especially in a democratic society, informs us about um um you know how we should feel or not how we should feel but it just gives us 
reason to reflect. It gives us um, food for thought and it, that can help us inform like how we want to vote in the future or how we want to see the direction of a certain political movement or you know whatever or um it, it, it just it helps us to kind of envision these scenarios that may shape our own worldview or the worldview we or the world we the view of the world we desire let me put it like yeah. that yeah i think i think satire and comedy too especially you know we we called this this series like the um cinema of nuclear dread and I think mm -hmm. satire and comedy can be a really great way of approaching like subject matter that people are afraid of. Um, mm. And so, you know, like we talked about how maybe it's easier now to just like laugh at this movie without the, with the, that fear being less present to us immediately. Um, but you, you know, and I see something like that with, um, Oh, what's the name of that movie that 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 came out uh, on Netflix? The it's that big satire it had Leonardo DiCaprio in it, and oh, don't um, look up, don't look up. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That that's like the closest thing I could think of to this kind of thing of the current era, where it's like satirizing certain political issues. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of making fun of everything. It's painting certain people at the top as just like you know a joke. And I didn't love that movie. And I don't know if like, you know, it's maybe it's just a, you know, not a, as good a movie as Dr. Strangelove is, but, mm -hmm. but also part of that might just be like the stuff that it's satirizing is like more immediately present to me as an individual. And yep. maybe it's harder for me to like engage with that just on kind of like a, you know, comedic level or something, you know, it's like, oh, you, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be making light of this because you know, it's a very serious issue. Um, I think it's maybe like a gut reaction that it's easier to have when it's something that's present to you. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, I say all that to just say, like, I think it's interesting to think about this movie in light of this being something that people were, you know, actually afraid might happen at the time and, uh, and how comedy and satire sometimes can actually be a mechanism that, we can use to like feel safe enough to approach thinking about those things. Um, and it can open us up to kind of like processing or thinking about certain subject matter that maybe like the seriousness of would like, and our fear of would keep us from like being able to consider more openly. Um, I don't know if that's making sense, but I'm just, I, I guess yeah, I'm yeah. just pointing to like, I think mm -hmm. the value of, of comedy and satire in a situation like this. Yeah, I, def I, I definitely say that Phil Safe is the more uh, scary movie or the more, right. you know, dreadful movie in that sense. Where, for one, because it depicts it, uh, as I said, mentioned earlier, it's not the whole situation isn't started because of some, you know, over the top, weird, war hungry general, but because of like this small tiny glitch in some computer this you know computing error that leads to all of this even when everything or when everyone is acting out of like the best of intentions like when there's these extended um conversations between the president of the united states and uh of the soviet union uh where they try you, you know you get the sense that they're genuinely trying to meet each other halfway and to try and make the best out of this situation. But that doesn't change the fact that like there's bomb bombing, uh, planes on their way to Moscow, which the United States failed to stop and which the, the, the Russians also have like, uh, trouble stopping because it's, uh, you know, it's a whole thing, uh, a whole like series of complications that come into their way, which makes this, you know, slowly makes it more clear and clear that there's a very real scenario in which there's going to be a nuclear bomb that drops on Moscow. And then the question is between the presidents, like they discuss this explicitly, like what, what do I do when that happens? Cause you know, right. obviously you don't want to start an all out war, but at the same time, something like that cannot go 
unanswered or without consequences and so that's there's a there's a, a very different kind of dread that sets in when you kind of feel like people with good intentions are nevertheless pushed into this direction where they have to cause like very intense harm to each other and maybe even like cause the world to end in its entirety um so yeah in, in that sense i think it's much uh, easier to just look at a movie like um dr strange love and approach it with more lightness lightheartedness um with just enough distance from a scenario that we would that we could actually envision to also have that same uh, to walk out with the same kind of message at the end or because i that's one more thing i'll say about those two movies in insofar as we're comparing them is that i do think they ultimately lead to the same revelations about the dangers of um, the nuclear systems as they were in place at the time the dangers of giving away our own agency to set up these kind of doomsday devices uh, and to kind of employ that as a sense or as a as a means for deterrence um, so yeah I think at the end of the day that's you know you can probably do both you can do both but um, yeah I'm guessing the the more the easier way to do it is just through satire because it just makes it a little bit more accessible but um, not to say that one movie is better than the other they just they're just so different in their tonality that to me it makes it uh, difficult to definitively say one's better than the other it's probably well, like the strange one, stuff, I mean but, yeah. one of them doesn't have uh, George C. Scott doing flips and Peter Sellers playing three different exactly. characters so that's that's something right off the bat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what did you think about that uh, I'm, I'm not sure if there's a story behind that why there's one actor uh, a famous actor at the time playing uh, three different roles I'm, I'm sure some of the the um, you know the big time Kubrick uh, nerds probably know the know the reasoning behind that if there's a public one um, I'm, I do I, know I, that I, Kubrick sure. uh, joked about uh, him be him taking up so much of the budget that he would joke like I got <laughs> yeah. I, I got three roles for the price of six or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um yeah no no I, I i i don't know anything about that specifically but i think it works i think it works well in this yeah. case it's it's pretty funny and he's he's good in all in all yeah. three three roles so to, there, there's a couple questions i have kind of revolving around ultimately sort of what dr strangelove is getting at and kind of beyond just like obviously being a kind of like Hey, th this could be a problem, and you know, what if the people in power aren't aren't, uh, yeah. you know, what if there are flaws there, or they are treating things less seriously than they should be, or whatever. Like deep deeper than that, maybe what is it getting at? And one of the things you mentioned earlier was kind of like the reliance on or this this conflict of like using machines to do something that we don't necessarily trust ourselves to do um, yeah. or using machines as like a deterrent to say like, Oh, you know, like the, the, um, what do they call it? The, the bomb that ends, that is going to end uh, the world, dooms doomsday the doomsday machine. Or, yeah. 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 It like the idea behind that is, okay, we're going to make a machine that if it's triggered, you know, we're taking it completely out of the human's hands and then, yeah, but we're doing that so that we don't choose to do certain types of things to d deter ourselves. Um, but that's linked mm -hmm. into kind of this like larger theme of, I think, reliance on machines. You know, we see so many things where yep. they have these fail safes and they're sending these codes and then like machines are failing all throughout the movie um, in ways that are kind of thwarting the intentions of, humans or the system that is set up to do um you know a certain thing is not working in the way it's supposed to um or a, a single bad actor is kind of able to like manipulate the situation yeah. anyway to to accomplish what they want and then 
um, and and that's all mixed together in a weird way. So you have this this crazy general who's worried about the essential bodily fluids being taken yeah. by the the Russian the communists. Yeah, and the fluoride and every all the Alex Jones stuff. You have this guy, and he's he's using the machines to his benefit to like accomplish his goal. Um, and then you have the guys in the plane and their machinery is like breaking down and malfunctioning in a way that's like, uh, thwarting them, but they're Mm -hmm. like, they're using like human ingenuity and grit to kind of like overcome that. Um, and then, uh, and then I think like in the weirdest, like, uh, insertion into this theme, you have Dr. Strangelove himself who has this like bionic mechanical arm that's like, you know, is trying to like do Heil, you know, Heil Hitler stuff. And he's like, was it having, was it supposed to be like a robot arm or I've read a reference. I read a reference somewhere that it's supposed to be mechanical. Um, Oh, okay. So I thought it was just kind of this, there's a, like a real syndrome that I'm forgetting the name, but there's like, uh, like alien hand syndrome or something like that, where where it's still like your own biological arm, but right. somehow the nerves got disconnected, so it has, uh, it has like its own consciousness, which in the case of Doctor Strangelove would still be like his former Nazi self, which is still preserved in, right, right, his right arm. That was that was kind of my interpretation the first time I yeah. watched it, but then I I saw, um, I saw people saying that. Um, it is a mechanical arm. So I don't think okay. that's explained in the movie. So I yeah. don't, Yeah, not, uh, if no. it is, I missed it. But, I noticed. Yeah. Um, but I think in light of that, like that's also an, in, there, like, I don't know if that thematic, but Kubrick is one of these people who like puts all these little weird things in there. Um, so that's another piece of that puzzle. But I guess my question is like, how do you feel about how this movie is interacting with sort of like, technology and the mm-hmm. machine and kind of um oh well in addition to the arm thing dr strangelove at the end saying we can use a computer to kind of find the best people it's very like it's very uh nazi fascist yeah. like gets a little um, bit uh, eugenic yeah right yeah. right <laughs> and he's kind of suggesting like we'll use a computer to do all that for us um, to mm-hmm. choose the best people that we can put in the ground to survive all of this. Um, yeah. So there's a link there, even if the arm wasn't intended to be a symbol of that, there's also a link there between like using technology in a certain way and this like this suggestion of something more like fascist and evil or or something. Um, anyway, I don't I don't really know. Like I, I was just curious what you think about what the movie's doing with that and if it's saying anything in particular. Yeah, I think the idea of nuclear deterrence it's sort of rooted i think in the in the more like nietzschean philosophy which uh proposed that like humans are at the state of war and that if we so if we want to have peace like we need to have like some some sort of some form of self-governance to keep it in place um if this was a video gaming podcast we'd also be talking about the metal gear solid series right now which um also deals with all that very explicitly and uh very interestingly and also in a way that very much is was inspired by um films like uh dr strange love um but anyways that the the concept is also that uh as you mentioned it takes away like our choice like our agency to uh which, which kind of invokes this kind of fear in the enemy that you know we cannot intimidate them because you know the system is going to respond if we do either way like whether no matter if they're right. like scared or not that's the whole the kind of that psychological aspect of warfare is kind of taken out of the equation and um and also it's kind of this assurance that even if you strike someone like like let's say the united states uh does like this preemptive attack on uh the soviet union then a feels or, or like a doomsday device would also be it would still be triggered even if every russian would be dead at that point like it could right. still be triggered 
even if you make a successful first strike. So no yeah. matter if you win or not in your initial attack, you're you're going to lose anyways. Um, so I think that in that sense, that was kind of the theory, like the general idea behind deterrence. But yeah, then as this movie showed, it it it, it is vulnerable uh, both to technical errors as well as to, as you mentioned, uh, single bad actors or multiple bad actors that know how the system works and then therefore know how they can abuse it for their own purposes. But I think the the interesting thing about it is that the, the kind of mistake I think that there is with this idea of deterrence is that we assume that the choice to push that button to like uh, incite like that whole mutual destruction is like too big of a choice for any one individual and therefore we have to hand it to like a system that takes care of it for us um, but I think the interesting thing about the real life situations that where individual human beings have been in this situation and indeed failed to go through with this kind of also show almost demonstrate that human beings are also the like the sort of ultimate fail safe in this right. scenario where it's precisely because um the choice is the choice to destroy the whole world is too big for any individual to bear so therefore we maybe we should give it to we should give it leave it to our hands because there's we ultimately are a better uh, determining factor to ensure that does, that doesn't happen. That, you know, when push comes to shove, like there's no one on this planet that's going to push that button. Um, I'm not sure if that's optimistic, but I think it's more a more optimistic scenario than trusting any form of technology or um, right. sort of rigid protocol that... Uh, that, that, that at some point it gets completely cut off from any human element or human interference. Um, I so, think, yeah. I think no matter, no matter how like many protocols you put in place, I think kind of what it's getting at is that there's ultimately like somebody it, it, it can end up coming down to, you know? So it's like, you know, the, the ultimate fail safe ends up being the pilot of the plane or, you know, different people along the way. And uh, so, you know, I think like this idea that we could just like offload it onto offload sort of this like almost like moral reasoning onto a machine or like culpability onto a machine is sort of almost an illusion. I think that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the reality is like one or a few people would have to make the call either way at the end of the day. And so, yeah. you know, we're kind of reliant on that anyway. But like the good news is, is that, you know, at least most people, the vast majority of people seem to, to be, um, you know, the, I think it's so easy to forget the way in which, how, how much of society functions on just like a basic, like, a mutual like respect for each other's well-being and lives um mm -hmm. especially when we're so cynical and we see so many examples of that being violated you know but it's it's it is easy to forget that like you know locking your door is like is the flimsiest of deterrence from like someone invading your home and like committing violence against you it's like the the thing you know, there's other deterrents in that specific example, like, uh, you know, the law and things like that. But in a lot of there are there are more scenarios than we care to think about, I think, most of the time where there's not like a real solid deterrent to keep like the main thing keeping people from like doing really bad stuff is that most people aren't trying to do really bad stuff that would be destructive mm. to a bunch of people and themselves. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think this is like sort of expanding that out to like the ultimate case study of that. Like, would one person be willing to push the button that would 
destroy the whole the whole world and in this case you know it's like you got a one crazy guy who is willing to do that but he doesn't know about the the doomsday device so like yeah that that's that that's one thing that we haven't mentioned at the beginning but like the whole issue with the doomsday device as it is presented in dr strange love is as the the doctor points out like the whole point of a doomsday device is to not keep it a secret so which is what the russians did or they were going to announce it like two days later or something like that yeah, but yeah uh yeah the, the the whole point of the the deterrence is lost if you keep it a secret i think that's what he said right um, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so he doesn't know about it and neither does the pilot who like you know against all odds manages to drop ride the bomb down into oblivion so it's like ultimately even in this movie neither of the people who are like trying to pull the trigger or press the button think that they're destroying the entire world you know it's like um mm-hmm. you know they they just think they're getting one of, well the the guys in the plane think they're reacting to a war that was started by somebody else and the crazy alex jones type guy uh yep. you know he he just thinks he's getting one over on the enemy to begin with um but they're not they're not nobody who is doing it thinks that they're destroying the whole world yeah but i guess they end up doing it by accident yeah yeah it's also interesting to um one thing i always notice in these movies that deal with nuclear bombs and especially those uh from the cold war eras that they always um there's like this real problem of trying to convey the imp- the real implications of this like you know right. the this mutual destruction and global annihilation it's you know it's simplistic or at least you know you can understand what that means but it's also in some way like almost unthinkable and uh there's one thing i noticed this time in this movie which i also see in a lot of other movies is that whenever they try to explain a nuclear bomb they always go back to like uh the second world war where they compare them to like oh this is like every every bomb that was every fire that was ever fired in the second world war combined that's the power of this one so that's they they always seem to go or they always seem to feel the need to go through these weird hoops to make it even vaguely comprehensible like what what this one bomb in this day and age really signifies it's you know or all they say like it's like 50 hiroshimas or something like that and if you go on like youtube and you know you look for these uh, or even like google images and there's these uh comparisons of the different nuclear bombs that have been uh tested over the years the the differences are really quite like staggering this yeah there's almost no comparison to what uh the, the kind of fire, firepower that was used during the second world war even though we still feel like that was if you know that was obvious obviously a very destructive conflict but in terms of like techno technological power you know we've advanced way beyond that you know when uh we think of fighter planes tanks uh guns but it still feels like there's people or it still feels like they somehow feel the need that they have to explain that the power of the bomb still isn't that obvious or that i don't know how to put this i think oppenheimer's probably gonna clarify some of this i think uh uh, because i heard nolan uh, or i saw nolan talked about the issue of having to convey like the real the real skill and power of a nuclear bomb in a way that feels that conveys the reality of that to the audience and i think that's um that that's such a uh, an interesting question i think when it comes to every movie that deals with nuclear destruction in some ways that is there is there there is that incomprehensible nature to them that it feels like we've like meddled with some aspect of reality that's too too big for us in in some way yeah yeah um which i guess brings me back to that point that 
maybe it's good that we have someone uh one of our own like not a computer not a protocol to uh some you know some some agent that has that kind of humility in the back of his mind or that humbleness and in the face of this like grandiose thing that in many ways like overpowers us um that we have like individuals like that who also uh keep that kind of destruction at bay um you know yeah yeah i think um one other thing i want to touch on about the the movie is kind of how it centers on fear and the role that fear can play in sort of like this casual approach to self-annihilation where yeah. um you know the the kind of the general who puts this all in motion he has this conspiratorial view of the enemy and um you know it's it's easy to laugh at that and like oh he's crazy or whatever but this is a very real thing that like you know uh, gets a lot of people uh that you know they they buy into narratives about an enemy and then it's possible to get so entrenched in that that you would you would you can construct a belief where you would rather die or you're willing to like sacrifice your own life to overcome this this villain you know essentially that you've constructed in your mind and i think that's something that was like you know real to a certain degree at the time there was uh, I think I saw this in one of the Roger Ebert um, reviews, but he talks about or somebody was, I saw somebody talk about the fact that like the phrase better dead than red was a thing yeah. at the time, at least in, you know, in the U S among some circles or, or, and it's like they're part of what allows these kinds of scenarios to develop or set themselves up is that sort of mentality of like, I have imagined this scenario in which the communists are so evil and bad that I would rather personally die than like let them infiltrate my country. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's a, like that there's something interesting about that and the way in which sort of like, it feels to me like Kubrick is, doing a little bit of like finger pointing towards the end where you have this, this, um, you know, German scientist who is trying to keep his, he's trying to stop from saying, calling the president of the United States Fuhrer, you know, he, he barely stop himself. And so he's conflating these two, like, uh, you know, Nazism as this ideology that was constructed around a lot of fear and then use that as an excuse for annihilation and eventually sort of, you know, ultimately like self annihilates in a way. And then, um, and then also sort of like, I don't think he's drawing a one-to-one comparison, but he's wanting to at least invoke a little bit, like the question of like, how different is that actually from people who are willing to just kill, you know, hundreds of millions of people or the entire world over this over this fear of another of a different person of a different ideology or a different group or something like that um so i don't know i think that's like that's an undercurrent in this film that is very relevant again is is relevant again but is also it's it's also about you know not just machines not just these weapons and how we interact with them but like the things that cause a, that get yeah. get humanity to this point in the first place where we feel the need to have such powerful weapons mm-hmm. um and how a lot of that is based in in uh like it's irrational that fear. kind of idea that there's some kind of ultimate enemy to our society right right which i think i think you're definitely right in with everything that you just said and uh i also noticed the just how prescient that general character really was, you know, because he's not just like a war-hungry 
general who wants to do like some fighting you know he is really that kind of almost like modern day conspiracy theorist as we see them unfortunately tend to see them now um maybe they probably always were there but maybe they're, 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 they're coming more to the surface now with social media and stuff um the way he just talks about like the notion of bodily purity and his yeah. fear of chemicals that the government puts into the water and um which to me is a you know i saw a lot of like the the anti-vax movement not just in the corona pandemic but also before that you know this very much the same sentiment this kind of fear for any kind of invasion of your own body for whatever yeah. reason um and also the second thing is that at one point he talks about something along the lines of like protect the children or this is something that's always the i think in a lot of conspiracy theories or or just like the the kind of characters the more fascist ish um characters that these general uh that this general represents is the that the first victim is their own children and so right that, because that opens a lot of justifications if it is to protect the children that opens a door to a lot of a lot of wrongdoings that are then justified uh as necessary means to an end and this and the the other thing i was going to say is uh, on that idea of the ultimate enemy i think it's interesting that the presence of dr strangelove also more indirectly deconstructs that by the idea that um in the second world war you know the nazis were the ultimate enemy and even today they are still like these almost mythological figures of evil beyond just being an opponent during a conflict in the 20 uh 20th century but at the same time as the movie shows us you know when the war was over you know all those scientists that used to work on nazi bombs that killed like allied soldiers were then hired by that same country to now make bombs to kill like other people and so there's this yeah it's ultimately as you said it's more about this construction of an idea of enemy of an enemy through fear and not so much a literal people which tend to be uh as history has shown like there's this kind of fluidity to that you know um there's a line in uh the metal gear solid series that uh where one character says like yesterday's ally might be tomorrow's enemy and right uh, and vice versa and that kind of holds true i think historically and um which should serve i think to kind of uh help us to let go of that idea that there's some intrinsic like villainous force that always is like that, that, that we're always working against someone instead of just uh that we are just existing as like one humanity in which most people you know no matter what country or religion or wherever they're from uh or whatever defines them that most of those people have well intentions or at least if they're not like actively good they're at least not actively doing harm or wishing to do harm um but yeah i'm not sure to what extent dr strange love really gets that specific message across right. um I think it does get overshadowed a little bit to, towards the end by the um by the way it kind of shifts its gaze backwards to like the brass and how they react to the the events of or the coming event of like nuclear apocalypse in which uh, they talk about the, uh, the the mine shaft gap and preventing um preventing the russians from repopulating the earth i guess that still relates to the idea that right. even in nuclear apocalypse even if you're 100 years down in a shelter um which is very favorable for the 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 upper um managers uh upper leaders because they it's going to be 10 to 1 or one you know one man for every 10 women because they have to procreate monogamy is out the door so it's a very good situation a very good deal for them but still you know they they, they, they still can't let go of that idea that you know somewhere on the other side of the planet there's a a kami bunker where right, they're right. procreating even harder <laughs> <Yeah>. and <so laughs> they, they need to step it up if they want to come back out of this 100 yeah. years from now and, and beat beat like the ruskies and uh, yeah 
Um, which yeah, it, it just yeah. I guess that does show the whole silliness of the the idea that even after all this, and then even after hundred years of nuclear winter, there's gonna be that that the conflict as they now see it is still gonna be relevant. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess that it just shows that entrenchedness of that kind of that kind of dynamic between what you between you and who you perceive to be your enemy. Yeah. The the one other thing that's interesting to me about kind of how this movie sort of like vaguely motions towards um, sort of like the U.S. you or like the use of nuclear um, weapons and kind of like Nazi fascism, kind of like relating them a little bit. I think one mm-hmm. of the interesting things about that is maybe a little bit of foreshadowing for next week's discussion where. Um, I think one of the fascinating dynamics for me of this topic is just sort of the way in which the United States kind of like casts itself as such a good guy in this, in World War II, in this fight against the Nazis. And there's this real construction of like, we are part of the good guys, there's this bad guy. Um, and a lot of that just overlooks this incredible, like horrific event at the end of World War II, where, you know, the United States drops nuclear bombs on civilians or hydrogen bombs, I guess, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of just the horror of that and how easily we overlook that while, you know, in an attempt to maintain our this kind of like. I don't know. It just the connection there, I think, is an interesting one that that points towards this sort of facade that we like to construct of this binary of I'm we're the good guys and there's this ultimate evil out there uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and deconstructing that a little bit. But I think there'll be lots more to discuss about that uh, when we talk about Godzilla yeah the original film and sort of how it relates to nuclear trauma in Japan and then kind of how that maybe changed and shifted as it was imported into America and you know, what it, what it represents now. Yep. Um, if you want to listen to that episode, you can listen to it right now already on Nebula. So go check that out. Nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning. Um, and then in two weeks we will have, or, in another week, you'll be able to listen to the Oppenheimer episode there as well. So, um, check that out. Check that out. <laughs> <laughs> you can find all that on our creator-owned streaming service, Nebula, which is also a great way to support the show. On there, you can also listen to our podcast ad-free. Every episode there comes out a week early, and there's a great catalog of monthly bonus episodes where you can get to listen to all of these exclusive episodes that you cannot find anywhere else you can sign up directly at our nebula page that's nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning or just follow the link in the description alternatively you can also support us on patreon where you'll find the cinema of meaning discord community Uh, we discuss movies there with fellow listeners and we ask the occasional questions for like suggestions and that sort of stuff the bonus episodes are also available on patreon link for that in the description thank you for listening to cinema of meaning and we'll see you next week